have mentorship trips, so new hires. I mean, this is critical when people get, uh, when they join a new team, a distributed team, it may be several months before they ever meet one of their teammates face-to-face. -face. And considering we work in a very asynchronous environment day-to-day, -day, I mean, you might not even see somebody on a screen <laughs> for some time. So uh, we do mentorship trips. As soon as you're hired, you get sent to spend a week with your mentor and um, and get to work and collaborate with them in a, in a uh, co-located setting for a week. We then do a leadership retreat. Every year we bring our whole leadership team together. We just started doing that last year, actually, for the first time and felt it was a rousing success. Like we're, we'll never go back on that. We should have done it a long time ago. Uh, and then we do mini retreats, which are the individual teams all going off to their various locations starting next week. And then we have the company retreat, which is we've rebranded to Doist Connect, which is bringing all 100 people to a central location. Um, each of those have different goals and, and itineraries attached to those goals, but all in all, they're based on, you know, we, we kind of connect everything back to connection. We want it, we want it to be mainly focused on giving people time to connect on a more human level and build that trust and psychological safety. Hey everyone, welcome to Leading From Afar, a show by remote leaders for remote leaders, where we dive into the most important topics facing leaders in the future of work. I'm your host, Scott Markovitz. I was the first hire at Envision, one of the first all remote companies back in 2012. I've since helped build and scale multiple remote teams as an early employee or consultant. In each episode, we geek out doing deep dives on specific topics like within async, hiring the best talent anywhere, how to create a fun and engaging environment remotely, and so much more. This show was created to help managers leading remotely upskill themselves to help them build world-class remote cultures. If you enjoyed this content, please feel free to support me by subscribing in your favorite podcasting app, share it with friends and colleagues, and feel free to buy me a coffee via the show's website. Everybody, thank you for tuning into today's episode of Leading From Afar. I'm your host, Scott Markovitz, and today I'm joined by someone who needs pretty much no introduction in the remote world, and that's Chase Warrington from Doist. We've been virtual friends for quite a while, so we connected recently for a chat and had to set some time to speak about a remote topic that's very near and dear to both of our hearts, and that's IRLs. Chase has been awesome in sharing fantastic content on LinkedIn about the company and team IRLs he's been organizing for Doist over the last year plus. Today, we're going to do a deep dive and really geek out on the topic, talking about company versus team versus one-on-one -on -one or one-on-team IRLs, how often to do them, where you should host them, what you actually do with these things, and spoiler, it's not actually all about work, and so much more. So if you're a remote or hybrid leader thinking about or currently planning an IRL for your team, today's episode is a must. Enjoy. Good morning, Chase. A few years in the making, but happy to finally uh, have you on this half of the sky to the screen. How's everything going this morning? <laughs> it does feel like it was a, a long time coming, Scott. Good to good to be here and uh, excited to chat today. Yeah, no, very happy to, to have you on board today. And I think 
obviously, you know, we, we've overlapped many times on social media and, and cross posted things. But for me, I think the real interest I had was doing like a, a deep dive into something that you're very passionate about. I'm, I've been extremely passionate about, especially towards the latter half of the pandemic and IRLs and getting people together. It's something that I think about constantly and uh, you know, forced myself out of the house, went to Berlin for, for a couple of days, a couple of months ago, just to kind of get out and I've been doing that again. So excited to really kind of do a deep dive into that. Um, that's uh, cool with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it. This is like a, a piece of the whole remote work pie that I'm, I'm most excited about. And, um, and I think it's crucial, you know, for, for us, if we're going to continue to thrive as, as distributed teams, then we've got to figure out a good IRL strategy, uh, to make it sustainable over the long term. So yeah, man, I, I know it's something that you're really into as well. And uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to, to, you know, jam on here today. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll geek out and do lots of deep dives on all different types of IRLs and all that good stuff. But yeah, I guess, you know, probably the, the best way to start, maybe I'll ask, I mean, you obviously don't need any introduction, um, but maybe to give a sense to everyone who's listening, your specific involvement within Doist around IRLs. And I know when we kind of spoke before and before we started recording, uh, the team or the various teams are actually having IRLs within like the teams next week. So maybe give us like a little of a hint of where people are meeting up and maybe a little, uh, a little sneak preview. <laughs> Yeah, you guys can uh, travel, you know, vicariously through us for the next couple of weeks. Um, it's it's an exciting time. We're we are just getting ready to jump off into our our what we call mini retreats, and I'll I'll go a little deeper on um, the different types of IRLs that we have. But this is one one form of them that's getting ready to hop off uh, over the next couple of weeks, starting next week. So uh, very excited about that. We've got teams going all over the place, from Turkey to Greece to Paris, and uh, Prague and a handful of other places. So, um, just, just a lot to, you know, look forward to getting people together. My, my job at Doist, um, is the, uh, the, my role is the head of remote. And so it's kind of interesting because my job is to like, make sure our whole remote work infrastructure works really well, uh, because we're a fully distributed team of like a hundred people in 35 different countries. And that, and that team spans all time zones. So we're, we're very, very distributed, um, and also hyper asynchronous, which is kind of weird. Like we're, uh, we're very far on one side of the asynchronous spectrum. So we meet very rarely, even in the virtual world. Um, we don't do a lot of zoom calls. Uh, I, in fact, I just ran a survey recently, like 65% of our team is doing less than two hours of meetings per week and hundred percent are doing less than eight hours of meetings per week. So like nobody's doing more than eight hours per week and more than half the team is, is probably around one hour per week. So we don't do a lot of meetings, <laughs> but we do really think that, uh, that it's important to come together a couple times per year and collaborate in person and, and spend time connecting. And, uh, and so it's my job to make sure that, that all of that works and the, the IRL strategy, the in real life strategy being a core component of the, uh, of the overall remote strategy. That's awesome. So a quick question, is a good chunk of your team like European based? Because it seems like all, a lot of the IRLs are European-ish uh, locations. So is there like a whole chunk of uh, folks there? Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Like about 50% of the team okay. is located within um, one or two time zones of each other centralized around Europe. So, um, and then we have the rest scattered around the other uh, time zones around the world. 
that's awesome. I love the idea of also very few meetings. I think the first time I yeah. met Amir, <laughs> I know he very much loved to always, I mean, it would have super impressed me, like a CEO of a hundred plus person company and however much revenue you guys have. And he would show me this calendar. I know there was like one meeting in the calendar. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> you go to the next week, there were like two meetings. I'm like, that's how you do it. I'm like, that's, yeah. that's super duper impressive. Yeah, he sets the tone for us. I mean, it's it's kind of like baked into our DNA to be very confrontational almost around meetings. Like, does it really have to be a meeting? You know, like everything should be challenged once or twice before it gets to meeting stage. Um, and, and that's, I mean, we just kind of all know, like they're not that efficient generally. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of people involved that don't get a lot done during them. Uh, I think I read something recently, like a statistic from McKinsey that, on average, like if, if we could, we would opt out of 50% of the meetings we're invited to because we do not think that we should have to be there. Like we don't see the point in being there. So that's just the, that's just the, the tip of the iceberg, that 50%. Um, so, you know, it seems so it's, it kind of seems strange to me sometimes looking outwards and seeing, I hear everybody talking about how brutal meetings are and how much time they're spending in them yet they continue to do it. <laughs> and uh, so it's just funny to, to kind of like flip that around and look outside sometimes. But um, but yeah, that's that's a core part of how we work. Uh, that's, that's awesome. So I guess starting to dive right into the conversation, I think when, if you ask most people, what what is an IRL experience? I think probably most people would say, hey, it's a company retreat. And I think there's a lot of holdover and I think we'll get into that in, in, a, in a further question of a company retreat historically was, right? You got everyone to go work from a location that wasn't the office, right? And mm -hmm. okay, we'll dive into that. But in essence, there's different types of IRLs. And it, again, doesn't necessarily be have to be the entire company. Maybe give a little bit of insight. What types of opportunities do companies have to get people together? Now, what are things that you're working on within Doist, whether it's a company level, team level, individual level, or you no know, group of people? I'd love to hear it and kind of maybe start off with that. Definitely. Um, so I mentioned this before, like we, we see this as a very key component of making distributed work work. Like we, we want everybody to almost always have the opportunity to live where they want to live, to work from where they want to work, to design their workday, how they want to do it. And, and, you know, not follow the traditional, uh, methods of, of going into an office and all the things that come with the, those confines. Hallelujah. Um, but a couple, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> preaching to the choir. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a couple, there's a space there to bring people together a couple times per year. And, um, and, and so we feel like doing that really, really well is worth investing in. Uh, like it's, it's not just creating the space and then sending people to go work from the holiday Inn off of I-95 and, uh, you know, just going to Outback Steakhouse for dinner. <laughs> it's let's do this really good. Let's make these impactful. Let's make these things that people look forward to. Let's get really strategic about what they mean for us and, and how they're going to serve us in the long run and not just do them just to do them because it's what everybody else is doing. Um, and so that gets into some of the nitty gritty of like, how do we want to use this time? Um, what emphasis do we want to put on work versus connection versus free time versus, um, you know, very constructed, uh, curated time? Um, where do we want the, the locations to be? And what do we want those, the reasons for choosing those locations, you know, convenience versus uh, enthusiasm and excitement and being a new place and being a, a place that we've been before and we're familiar with. So we're balancing and, and balancing all these things and thinking critically about all of them. 
and and then we slot those different types of IRLs into basically five different buckets, starting with like the most individual, uh, least constructed constructed times. We we have some perks that we provide to reimburse people if they want to go meet up with other teammates. Um, so we want to encourage in-person interaction. So we'll, we'll subsidize the cost of your trip. If you want to go hang out with another teammate or rent a place to stay and go do a workation together or whatever, we want to encourage that. Um, we have mentorship trips. So new hires, I mean, this is critical when people get, uh, when they join a new team, a distributed team, it may be several months before they ever meet one of their teammates face-to-face. And considering we work in a very asynchronous environment day-to-day, I mean, you might not even see somebody on a screen (laughs) for some time. So uh, we do mentorship trips. As soon as you're hired, you get sent to spend a week with your mentor and um, and get to work and collaborate with them in a in a uh, co-located setting for a week we then do a leadership retreat every year we bring our whole leadership team together we just started doing that last year actually for the first time and felt it was a rousing success like we're we'll never go back on that we should have done it a long time ago uh and then we do mini retreats which are the individual teams all going off to their various locations starting next week and then we have the company retreat which is we've rebranded to Doist Connect, which is bringing all 100 people to a central location. Um, each of those have different goals and and itineraries attached to those goals, but all in all, they're based on you know we we kind of connect everything back to connection. We want it we want it to be mainly focused on giving people time to connect on a more human level and build that trust and psychological safety that they might lack getting in the distributed world that we typically work in there, there's so much so much goodness there and there's i probably have like a list of about 15 questions but i'll go one by one and i think you you created an idea of the next time i have you back back on the podcast about this which is actually very fascinating to me i would love to, again not for today the mentorship trip right because there's mm. so many so much talk about the lack of onboarding in remote environments. And again, I had Andrew, I think maybe in the second episode ever of, of the show talking about the onboarding that you do and you no know, learning development is lacking and because you no know, people missing the office and looking over your shoulder, because I don't know how through osmosis you were supposed to be able to learn by looking over someone's shoulder, but again, not for today. <laughs> um, but there's so many again, different things for, for again, for another time, but maybe focusing in today, it's, you, know, you mentioned there's different types and leadership and things like that. We'll start off maybe with a simple question, right? If there is a simple question, maybe yes, maybe no. But what do you think is the right number of opportunities for a team to get together or for people to get together each year? I, I do think it depends, and that's an easy cop-out. But um, I think it depends on a couple things. One is obviously the desire to to bring people together. We actually surveyed our team, and they're very firm. It was overwhelmingly obvious two per year is the right number. Um, so six, six, every six months, essentially we have a get together. Um, and, and that's the right balance between getting people together, giving them that time as a team, but also giving everybody their, um, their space to manage their life, how they want to manage it. And that that's part of one of the big perks of remote work that we don't want to deteriorate by throwing a bunch of obligations to travel around the world. Another is like distribution, right? Like we're very distributed with, you know, I mean, a hundred people might sound like a lot of people to some, but 
Um, but to many, it's, it's not, you know, it's a relatively small team yet we're distributed across every single time zone in 35 countries. You know, we don't have, although we do have a core in the European time zones, um, it's still, it's still pretty distributed. So bringing people from Australia up to Europe three, four times a year is quite a tax on them. Um, and to leave them out of those experiences because it's too much travel is, is also unfair. Uh, and then I think the third one is like, to what degree is being together, serving your business needs? Uh, we're, we're set up to run as an asynchronous team. Like we actually struggle and it's something I would love to pick your brain on is like, we actually struggle to make these events super, super productive in terms of like work, uh, in terms of like actually getting stuff done that we feel drives the, the bottom, the, a difference on the bottom line. So that's why we see them as more about building time to connect. And we don't feel that we need to do that three, four, five times a year. And it doesn't make business sense. They're quite hefty investments financially. Uh, so we don't think it makes a lot of business sense to invest in them multiple times per year when we're set up to run as such an asynchronous organization. That may not be the case for everybody. Like, again, we're pretty far on one end of the spectrum in that regard. No, I, I completely agree. Um, two questions I wanted to pull out there. Number one, for the idea that the team has given you two. So I just wanted to clarify for people listening, that's a total of two. So that it could be one company retreat and one team get together, or that's two company retreats, then maybe the team gets together. So just wanted to clarify that point first. Yeah, good point. Um, so we do, we do one company retreat, uh, which we call Duis Connect, which is the whole company coming to one location. And then about six months later, um, we do the, the team mini retreats um, where like, you know, so the marketing team will go to one place and the Apple team will go to another and et cetera. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to clarify the point. So thank you so much. The second is a point and, and I don't know how much you you've dealt, dealt with this. It's those times where, again, in vision, we saw the same thing where certain people either weren't able to come to an IRL or again, had some kind of limitations that they, for whatever reason, they weren't able to attend. But in a sense, it's like, hey, they're kind of missing out on something. You know, so is there this thought of you know, people, again, who can't travel or whatever the reason is, of kind of giving them some kind of compensation in return for, again, maybe it would have cost you from Australia, it would have cost you, I don't know, 15 grand or 10 grand to bring you and, and do all those things. Hey, you know, we'll give you $2,500 to go travel you know, somewhere close to you and kind of do something or, again, maybe invest more and, hey, maybe go meet if there's somebody in Singapore and you haven't been to Singapore and you want to go, you know, travel to, to be with that person. Um, it's cause are you thinking about this or what is, what do you guys do when it comes into maybe those times where people can't come because they specifically can't come, or maybe they choose not to travel from Australia all the way to Europe because they can't sit on a, pl a plane flight that long, <laughs> like me. Yeah. This, this especially came, became true with, with COVID, even as the, the more intense days of, of COVID were waning, um, you still had people that were, you know, uh, are hesitant to travel or their, the restrictions in their country made it, um, just pretty cumbersome and they didn't really want to deal with it. Um, some people got cold feet at the last moment, the idea of suddenly being in a group of a hundred people when they've been isolated for a long time, um, got scary. So we really wanted to, to think hard about this because then on top of that, you have all the other stuff that you just mentioned and family obligations and, and things that just come up. So, um, we, we have definitely thought about this a couple points, I guess. One is that we, we created a, uh, I don't know if to call it a perk is the right thing, but a guideline basically where if you couldn't come to the retreat for something out of your hands, like COVID would be a good thing. Or if you 
broke your leg and didn't want to travel or wh whatever it might be. Um, but something happened where you weren't, you weren't able to come. Like you truly just were not going to be able to come. It wasn't a decision you made. Then we divert the funds that we had set aside for you to come to the retreat so that you can go visit another duister at some point throughout the following six months. So between that retreat and the next, basically we have retreats happening every six months. Um, between those two, if you want to go visit another teammate, you you have the funds set aside to go do that. And uh, and so we'll fund that. The other thing is like we, we thought a lot about um, people with young children. Uh, it's particularly hard for families with, with children and, you know, especially the younger ones um, to leave your partner behind or something like that. So we set aside a perk for you, a daily stipend to cover additional uh, family expenses. So you could, your your partner could, you know, order food in or hire a nanny or something like that while you're away. Um, and then we also wanted to think about the people who just chose not to come. Um, and we try to do a little something for them. So like, for example, we have a team that's going to be all getting together. One of their teammates just, it was too far for them. They had some other family things kind of going on. They could have made it, but they decided not to. Um, we're diverting a, a small percentage of the funds for the retreat to them so they can, you know, go out for dinner with their family or a couple friends and enjoy a, a social evening together on the company. Um, it's, it actually is cost the company less than it would have to bring them there, obviously, and just shows them that, you know, we, we're still thinking about them and caring about them and hoping that they have a, a, a slightly better week than normal as well. I think there's, there's a few points here that you brought out, which I think are super critical for people listening. It's when planning these things of right, thinking outside the box, when normally we think yeah. about expenses, it's okay. No travel to the airport, travel from the airport, no, things <laughs> like that. But as you said, like people with kids, right? I have, I have four, four young kids at home and yes. So then the extra <clears throat> burden when I went to the Envision IRL fell on my wife. So having that opportunity of saying, yes, no, we understand that. We understand the extra burden of not having the extra hands at home. And we want to support you and support your family and thinking about, yes, no stipend for food taken or for, for babysitters or something to, again, help and, and make that both impactful, because certainly the person who's coming, right, can be impacted that, okay, they know they left behind and like the, the spouse struggling a little bit more and to kind of even ease both sides, right, of the relationship's mind. Um, is I think is a beautiful idea. And also the people who choose not to come, it's say, sorry, you chose not to come. Okay, no, your loss. But even thinking, hey, again, we want to at least sweeten some experience for you and having the opportunity to get together. And and I love, again, that idea of maybe people who couldn't come maybe because of COVID. I had Jacob Newton from uh, from Butter on, I think last season, and we started off, I think, talking about IRLs because he had just finished one. And he had mentioned it was something that was very interesting. He had a group of people on this team, I think from the Gulf region, and I think where they went, I think it might have been Amsterdam or wherever it was in Europe. I think there was some visa trouble. So a number of the people couldn't get there. So he, the organization hosted a kind of Gulf region IRL just for those group of people. Again, again, trying to reiterate that point of, hey, you couldn't make it, right? It's not, sorry, not tough luck, but we care about you and we want you to have the opportunity to spend time with colleagues and build those relationships. So, hey, we're going to kind of think outside the box and still trying to figure out a way to, again, get you that that in real life experience, which again, for people who are listening, just got like to hit that nail again, like over and over, <laughs> like that point of, again, thinking outside the box and giving everyone the opportunity for the experience, people who can, who can't, and, and all those things like that, I think is uh, extremely, extremely important. 
Yeah, I mean, inclusivity is so vital in these situations. You you have to think about it from the standpoint of like, if you were working in a co-located office every day, like a, to the, a traditional business would be, and you miss the company happy hour, or even like the once a year Christmas party or something like that, like, you're going to go back to work the next week and see those people again. And, and so you've got 300 days a year to build that social capital. Um, and, and not that we're not building social capital virtually anyway, we are, it's, it's just that this is a, a key piece of that pie. And if you miss it and you only have two opportunities, like we're talking 10 days per year to be with your team, um, that, that matters more. And so you have to really think about inclusivity and, and making sure that everyone feels like they had a real chance to, to get there. And then I think on the flip side of that, you have to make all of these optional, like completely guilt-free optional. Like your career is not going to be impacted if you decide not to come. You have to truly want to come, be willing to make the effort. And and if you don't, that's totally fine. Like we we generally, we genuinely don't care if you decide it's this just isn't for me. We have we have several people that they're just like, look, I'm I'm an introvert. It's I got young kids, whatever the reason is, it's just not for me. And um and so both those things have to be have to be true, I think. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think also that sense of flexibility. And I think one of the things that I experienced during the Envision IRL, I, I, I just can't sit on a plane that long. Like I, I don't yeah. sleep on planes. I just, for me, it's, it's literally torture. Even to go to like the Berlin was just like, like at the end of it. <laughs> so the company was very supportive because I think there's a direct flight from Tel Aviv to San Francisco. There might also be one to Las Vegas. So the, the IRL years ago was in Phoenix. So in theory, I could have flown straight to either Las Vegas or flown to San Francisco and then down to Phoenix. Like, no, like the, the max <laughs> I could sit is like to New York. So they were supportive of, hey, you know, fly to New York, take a couple of days and then fly separately from New York to Phoenix. So I'm like, I, I mean, if, if it's literally a difference, like I'm, I'm just not going to make it. Like I just, I can't sit that long. Um, but you kind of laid, had a perfect layout for the next question. I know this whole episode is about IRL and getting together in real life. But I think it would be a miss, and you've you've hit it perfectly of that sense of the virtual relationship building, which for me is mm -hmm. like as crucial as the real life um, get together and time spent because right you get together, let's say three times a year, right? As a company, as a as a team, and then individually you meet up one time a year. That's three times a year, or even if you throw the third time away, that's two times a year every six months. What do you do in between those? And like that virtual building is so important to kind of reinforce the time that you spend together now that you have mm -hmm. a deeper connection and like you're excited and have like the energy you know how do you continue that in a virtual way and then how does that kind of lead up to the next opportunity that, that you get to so we'd love to hear a little bit more about what you guys do and what you guys are thinking about uh, and what teams should be thinking about for the sense of virtual so okay hey we're going to do irls we're going to get people together in real life but that doesn't mean you don't do anything in the virtual side. Like, what does that look like? Is it a virtual IRL, which I know were quite popular during the pandemic for, for obvious reasons? Or is it just, again, like weekly team building and games and funds and things like that? We'd love to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, we look at the um, the retreats as kind of like bookends and and events that are going to pay dividends over the next six months. So we, we come together, we're in person, and then we kind of expect that we'll connect the dots with these other types of activities that you mentioned in between. Um, and, and both are equally as important, as you said, like we're, we're together two weeks out of the year and then we're working virtually the other 50. So we got to get the other 50, right. If we're, if we're going to put so much emphasis on the, on the two that we're together, we better be good at the other 50 also. Um, 
So one of the first things that I think is important to clarify, and at least for us, the, the very tangible decision that we made is that we're, we're going to see culture and connection as, as much about work as it is about the other stuff that some people might associate with culture and connection, like, you know, the equivalent of the Zoom happy hour or games or whatever it might be. Um, we do that. We do those things. And there's some there's some importance there. But step one was identifying that we were OK with saying, you know, we're a team, not a family. Uh, the work is what actually unites us and binds us together, like very legitimately, very, very uh you know, tangibly speaking, that's what the reason that we're actually working together. And so we want to build out a really great system for facilitating awesome collaborative work together with people from around the world, people working on stuff that's new and exciting to them all the time, and then really facilitating that in a way that allows them to, to connect on a personal level and, and around the work that they're doing. So that was kind of step number one, and I think is important to, to clarify. Um, and then we moved down the ladder towards activities um, that kind of fall into two buckets, like uh, virtual and synchronous, uh, and, and then virtual and asynchronous. Um, so we have a variety of activities and events going on every month. We created a social calendar um, where every few weeks there's a opportunity to join a live session that's also recorded and transcribed for people that you know may, may not be able to make it or at outline time zones. We try to vary the time zones so people from all around can join. Um, but those are a variety of different, uh, activities that give people a chance to, you know, work out together or cook a meal together or listen to someone give kind of like a Ted talk and then discuss that. Um, we have activities that are focused on bringing in third parties to lead us in activities, which will like help facilitate better bonding or better teamwork or, or whatever. Um, and then we have a bunch of asynchronous stuff going on too, like, like that really works well with the way that we work um trivia games and two truths and a lie and uh we have like a lot of bots that have been built in twist which is where we collaborate that um that you know in in they get people to mention like what's going on in their life what they did over the weekend uh celebrating people's birthdays things like that so you can infuse that stuff into an async world i think there's a probably like a little bit of a misconception that like you think about asynchronous work you just kind of think about people working in their silos alone in their bedroom you know just like typing away like a robot on their computer and uh, and we've done a really good job i think of of making people feel human and connected and uh and and that's why you know i mean you see that reflected in employee satisfaction you see it reflected in retention um so all of this is is you know very important uh, couldn't agree more, especially the last points of my previous role that the two teams I was running, we ran kind of the work stuff asynchronous by default. So team meetings and one-on-ones and things like the work portion was always one-on-one, uh, was always asynchronous, but we, I kept the calendar invite always there. And we use that for synchronous time and, and relationship building. So teams like we played games, we did no show and tell, we did the kind of things that you're speaking about the one-on-ones was very much of like. Hey Chase, how's it going? Like, how was your weekend? Yeah. Did you connect the soccer team? Again, more focus on personal relationships, on professional professional development, and, and things like that. Um, which again are super important to make sure that you still have that time. And we do like co working hours or half an hour, which just people join, you join, you join, you don't join, you come in, you come late, whatever it was. Just having right that opportunity for people to get together and spend time together in, in the fashion that they want. Uh, but let's let's now let's. Let's start to geek out. Let's really get into the details now. Uh, we kind of glossed over this first question I have earlier, and I think it's maybe 
probably the most important question we're going to hit. So we'll start, we'll throw it out of front. Your team's getting together, right? You're doing company retreats, you're doing IRLs. What the heck do you do with these things, right? Again, when the old history is <laughs> it started off, right? A company retreat was, okay, the whole t- team went to some place to go do work the whole time you're there. And that's, we're going to get into whether people should be doing that or not. And is there a difference in what you do, whether it's the entire company getting together versus entire team getting together or individuals getting together? So let's let's start there. Oh, I love this. Um, I think there's a science here. Like I've actually tried to like really quantify this because uh, as we touched on earlier, like these are massive investments, not just in terms of finances, which they are that also, but like time and energy uh, and, and the fact that you're pulling people out of their day to day for two weeks out of the year, like it, there's, there's an opportunity cost there if you don't get it right. So um, all in all, the get, getting this right is, is extremely critical for any team that's going to, you know, venture down the path of investing in them. Um, and, and so the way that we defined it, and, and again, coming back to like the way that we work, very asynchronous, very few meetings in general. Uh, because of that, we also feel like we can get our work done very good like at a very high level and in a very productive level in the async world. So we actually struggle to make them very productive in terms of like just coming together, working, even when we do workshops and brainstorming um, and, and things like that, there is, there is value add there for sure. We, we get something out of the work time, but it's not as valuable as some people might think in terms of just purely getting things done um there's and there can actually be like a little bit of a a a negative cost or reverse cost to this if you start to think that the offsite is where work's going to get done you know picture yourself like one month before the offsite and that inclination to well let's just wait until we're co-located to to get that to figure that out that that mindset can be toxic and I don't know if you've seen that before, Scott, but that I've, I've witnessed that. And, uh, and so we wanted to mitigate against it. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's for me, it's the same idea, right? If you're going to travel for an IRL, it's the same con- to do work. It's the same concept of commuting 60 minutes to sit on zoom calls all day. Like there's just yeah. no point. <laughs> and, and if I had that opportunity, right in, in, uh, in Phoenix, and I thought I'll you know, give some history to envision. So envision did two company retreats, entire company retreats. Uh, the first one I didn't get it to attend to, but that one was very much focused on working together and meeting with customers and, and very work focused, right? The company did pulse surveys and asked like the, for feedback after, after the event. And it was very, very, very clear. We didn't travel all around the world to come work together, right? We're working together virtually every day. We spend together time together every day. This is not the purpose of what we're coming here. We want to sit with people. We want to build relationships. Like that's, that's the point of traveling wherever you're traveling from is to build relationships. And the company really understood that and took that and did a fantastic job on the second one in Phoenix that I attended. Uh, then again, we'll uh, dive into a little bit more of most of the focus was on not working, right? Just relationship building structure time. And like, again, we'll talk about like the, the 50, 30, 20 idea, but spending time together, whether that was a structured way, whether that was unstructured way, it's like, that's what you're coming here for because you work together, you collaborate, you're doing these things every day anyway. That, that's not what the whole purpose of getting people to, to, together in person was. So I think even in vision, we clearly saw what the impact was that in making that mistake the first time of trying to focus more on work. Because um, for me, if even the one that I went to, if I knew we we're going to do work there the whole time, 
I'm not flying whatever 18 <laughs> hours on the other side of the planet to go do work. Like, all right, I can just do work from here. Like I even so that takes the motivation and like that energy out of the travel and the experience because it's for the wrong reason. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's rooted in the wrong reason. To totally agree. Um, so so the way that we've defined this, you know, is we uh, we created what we called the 203050 rule, which basically is 20%. We want our itineraries to more or less reflect 20% work, 30% structured activities, and 50% unstructured free time. Um, and and that, that unstructured free time or R&R sounds uh, to like, I, I would understand if someone heard that and said, wait, 50%, like you're, you're just doing nothing for 50% of the time. And, and to be clear on that, like you're, you're looking at an itinerary and you're basically saying, I want 50% of the time to be structured and the other 50% for people to be human, do what they want to do in those moments. We provide options, we give them suggestions, we, we have activities or things there for them to choose to do if they want to do them. Um, but we want people to have the space to just sit and be humans with their other, with their fellow humans, you know, and, and get to know each other. And it's, it's amazing what comes from that. Like in my, um, in one of my first retreats with, with Duist, I ended up, uh, sitting with who's now our head of support at the time. And has become one of my best friends at the company. And like we hadn't, he worked on the support team. I worked in the business development, business development team. We had no real meet reason to talk or collaborate, but we ended up just sitting for a while talking. We came up with some amazing ideas, which ended up being implemented later. Um, we had another story this year that, uh, that uh, and I should say, and that, you know, that relationship is going as we've both moved up throughout the organization, that that relationship has turned into some, some pretty uh, exciting changes that have happened at, at Duist. The I, I watched another group of guys this year in our past retreat. They, uh, a bunch of backend developers, they had some free time and they ended up going to this room and coding and actually building something uh, together that they just had a, like they were at a, in a hotel room there and just not totally not work related, um, but just went and had a blast and got to know each other like they would never really have the chance to work together otherwise. So these, these serendipitous moments are sort of what this thing's all about. Um, and, and so I think it's just really important to carve out lots of time for those because that is what you absolutely can't get or is very, very difficult to get in the virtual world. And that's what we're optimizing these for is like, what can you not get in the virtual world that, that you can get IRL because you can get work done in both. And there's space to, for getting your regular work done in, in these retreats, but it's not optimized for that. No, hundred percent. It's, I had the same experience that I think probably the most impactful opportunity for me at the, the company IRL were the fire, no fireplace side chats. You know, we were in Phoenix in, in February, so it was kind of cold the night and all around like this, I'll call it a resort. It's probably not the right term. They have different like couches with you no know, fire pit set up and just to sit there right next to a fire, drinking a beer with somebody I know, somebody you don't know, and just having a conversation like those are probably the most impactful moments for me. And yes, you know, the, the theme of the, the IRL that we had was camp, like going back to camp. So as you said, there was always mm -hmm camp fun things. And we were at a place that had like all the amenities to do things all day long. But again, much of that structure was around there's stuff here to do if you want to do it, but we kind of leave that opportunity to you to decide, you know, what you want to do and who you want to do it with. Um, and that works very well as a company. So now maybe a little bit of a focus on a team. Like, do we see a little bit of a difference now when a specific team gets together? And I think support team yes. probably better yeah, than 100%. anyone else. So we, right? 
Oh, sorry, to, to I, uh, like a support a disconnect a, there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it looks like there was a little bit of a delay, but in essence, like a support team, right? That you can't close down support for a week. So there, in theory, has to be some type of work that's going on, maybe with sales as well. So do we see like a different equation when it comes to teams? And I think certainly when it comes to individuals, like you're probably not paying for someone to go travel to someone else just to, again, kind of sit at a bar, sit at lunch and, you know, have coffees all day versus, you know, co-working for the day, but also going to lunch and dinner and, you know, maybe drinks afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I lost you for a little bit during the question, so I'm going to, I think I understood most of it though. Uh, the, uh, so couple things. One is when it comes to the support team, like the, it's a little bit separate from the direct question, but I think it's really important for your customer facing teams uh, to, to, to really think about how you're going to make this experience positive for them. Um, it's not a real fun experience when your whole support team's working throughout the entire retreat. That's a pretty miserable experience for them. It's also not great for them when they have to return to a overflow of tickets and have, you know, two, three months of backlog sitting ahead of them um, because they sat out for a week. So you have to really rethink that. Uh, we are glad to dive deeper on that. We came up with like a whole strategy for how to insulate them from that. Um, but, but more specifically to your question, like, so when we do our mini retreats, which are more like team offsites where you actually are trying to get some work done, um, we, we do put a bit more emphasis on, on those teams trying to get something done. They're usually trying to solve a, one or two major challenges that they're facing. They do a lot of focus on knowledge sharing, um, you know, working together on things that they don't normally get to sync up on. And, uh, but we still try to keep a good balance between, uh, you know, we, we make sure that they're not five day hackathons either, where they're just like grinding it out for four or five days. We want people to go on them, focus on connection first and getting work done second. And then, um, but, but walking away with something pretty tangibly uh, positive that impacts their team. And generally what these lead to are uh, pushing over a major hurdle, like something that's really been blocking them that they just haven't been able to jam on together and in, uh, in the synchronous world and, and fight through something or working through uh, a series of smaller roadblocks that they feel like have been just keeping them from hitting at peak efficiency. Um, and then the third one is like knowledge exchange. Like they do a lot of, they spend a lot of time sharing their learnings, creating ideas about how they can work together as a better, uh, more functional team and, um, and then implementing those strategies afterwards. No, I love that. Um, last, as we kind of spoke earlier, the last company retreat was in the very dreamy from the pictures, Austrian Alps. Uh, the one that's upcoming later, I guess this year is in Tuscany, which obviously the thought of drinking wine all day and, and eating pasta is also quite dreamy. <laughs> For again, I want to try to help people understand. Like these are very called rural, right? Out of out of urban areas, very scenery, but very focused away from the urban areas. And I think this is something important for people who are listening or thinking about IRLs to think about: of what's the right place? Like, yes, probably you want to poll your your team, but do we do get people together in a city like Lisbon, where there's so much to do, museums and restaurants and bars and all that stuff? But that potentially opens the opportunity where there's more fragmentation because you can kind of escape and people can kind of go on their own and then it kind of removes the opportunity for people to kind of you know, build relationships. Or on the other hand, you go to the Austrian Alps, you go somewhere where more rural work, okay? Everyone's kind of in one place, there's nowhere else to go. And there's maybe, I don't wanna say less to do, 
But again, there's more of that emphasis on, hey, everyone's here as a team, we're here together and we're building more relationships as a team. So we'd kind of love to hear your thinking on why the locations have been chosen that you've chosen for, for the team and what companies could be thinking about whether or no going to a city or going to maybe like a more rural area and like what the maybe pros and cons of, of both are. Yeah, I thought a lot about this and um, I can, there was a experience that we had that really shed some light on this for me. So one time we did a split retreat. We, uh, we went to Santiago, Chile for half the week. And then we flew down to the South of Chile near Patagonia for the second half. And so one was very like, uh, you know, right in the middle of a massive urban center at a fancy hotel. And the other one was at more of like a lodge, uh, look overlooking a lake where we did like campfires and, um, and, you know, went and saw waterfalls and stuff. And the feedback on that retreat was very clear that the the one down in the the part down in the south was the highlight of all of our retreat experiences to that point. Um, nothing against Santiago at all. It was just that people really, really loved that time together. And some quotes that might have like exemplified that was like we were just in a place and we just got to hang out and be, you know, just like be as a team. And um, and so when I started thinking, rethinking our whole retreat retreat strategy after the uh, pandemic and, you know, starting to bring people back together again, I really went back to that and reviewing the feedback from everybody. It was just clear, um, that that was something that they really liked. I also saw that in other retreat surveys where it was like, uh, you know, we had been in Athens, Greece, but we had gone out like sailing all day. And so there was this real enthusiasm for like activities that brought us back to nature a little bit and, and things like that. And I heard that over and over again from the Austrian Alps trip, where people were like, you know, nature brings out the best in us, or we just had space to just hang out and just be and and not um, and not feel like we had to go do something to entertain ourselves. It was just about being together. So when we centered the focus of these retreats on connection, um, it kept taking me to places like this. That said, you know, there's obviously a subset of people who really love urban centers or the museums and 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 want some of that. So I try to infuse some of that into the strategy as well um, by picking locations that are within a relatively easy distance to a major city. Um, obviously you need an, a major airport pretty close by and I've kind of drawn a circumference of around an hour and a half to maybe two hours at the very most from a major airport. Um, so people have that opportunity. We also let people come in a day or two early and stay a day or two afterwards, um, depending on how far they have to travel. So some people have uh, have the chance to stay in those cities. And then also like this year, we're gonna do for, for example, a day trip to Florence. We're only 30 minutes from Florence. So we'll be going into Florence for a full day and um, and spending some time there and getting that that fix as well. So you wanna try to please everyone, you won't. You'll fail at that if you, if you uh, put too much emphasis on it uh, or, or probably either way, but try to accommodate all the needs and, and provide both. Uh, so much goodness here and I love that the your statement of the feedback of just, just be there. I think unfortunately yeah. the world, the way we've come, it's always about, we always have to be hustling. We always have to be doing, we always have to be building. It's nice just to take a break, right. And just be, and just sit and just relax. And yes, I, I makes a lot of sense that somewhere in nature allows you to be doing that versus I think if you're in a city, okay, now I'm in the city, I'm only here once. I got to go see this and I go to go to see that. And I got to do all these things. And, you know, check off all the boxes versus if you're just nature, right? You're just there, right? There's, there's not things to do, but gives you that opportunity to say, okay, and you don't, you don't have to go, you don't have to hustle, you don't have to do, just 
sit, relax, and kind of you know, spend time with each other. Less is more in these cases, I think. Um, and and I, I mean, you hear that in the feedback uh, more and more. And, and I know people are, you know, another thing, this isn't the point, but it's a, it's a, I guess, a perk of that strategy as well is that, um, you know, a lot of people are, are tightening the belt right now. They're thinking about how to be more fiscally responsible. And these are big, these are major expenses. I mean, any, any savings that you might've recouped by, you know, not having an office and those expenses you probably spend on, on these events. Right. So like, um, they're, they're, they're hefty investments. And a lot of people are thinking twice about whether or not they're going to do things like this. If you go to a place like that, um, where your activity is going on a hike, which is free, instead of, you know, going to a, uh, a show at a theater or visit even visiting a museum or something, like all these expenses add up quite a bit. And, um, and again, when you find that people are really just reflecting on the fact that they just want to be and, uh, and, and have some of those activities to bond around, um, like going for a hike, for example, then, um, you know, then I, I think it can be a win-win. You obviously have to like, uh, if you're going to places like this, you do have to recognize that it's not, you know, you, it can't be like a, a, an outdoors person's adventure camp, you know, like you have to think about infusing cerebral activities and, and, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about the fun sides of this, but like we did a hackathon, for example, and we have AMAs and workshops and collaborative sessions where we are getting stuff done, but in a very collaborative manner. Um, so you have to, you have to feed all sides of the, of the brain in that way. But um, it's not all about just going to big cities and seeing sites and stuff. I find, especially after COVID, I think people are, are really focused on that just being and, um, and enjoying and, and thinking less is more. Yeah. So you, you jumped the questions a little bit, but so we're going to maybe cut swing back to, to the, to this question. But one of the things that I also think is something that isn't thought about enough, especially when it comes to IRLs, it's right. You get everyone in one location everyone in the Austrian Alps, everyone in wherever it may be, but human beings are human beings and we're social creatures. Yes. But we tend to rely on packs. And so if I'm in like the support team, the people I'm probably going to spend most of my time with are the support people. And I saw this, the envision IRL for me, it was fascinating. It's like you no know, sociological experiment that every one of the meals, every team sat siloed together, right? So your APAC sales team was the APAC sales team and your iOS team was your iOS team. And me, either because I'm an extrovert or probably more likely because I was the first hire there and literally everyone except for the two co-founders came after me and I didn't have any interaction with probably 90% of the people that were there. I refused to sit with my team in any meal. So every meal I went and I sat at a different table because I knew if it wasn't for this opportunity, I would never meet these people. I would never have a conversation with these people. And my team gave me a hard time. They're like, listen, Scott, like, why aren't you sitting with us? I'm like, I talk to you every day. I know you. All these people here, I have no idea who they are. So I think, again, that's something that can be often missed of like, hey, we got everyone together. And all of a sudden, like mixing and mingling is just automatically going to happen. But it doesn't. So like, what, what should companies and people who are organizing these, these events be thinking about of how do you get people to meet other people when again, the tendency is, Hey, I'm going to kind of sit and talk to the people I already know on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. I, I love this question. And it's something I think about a lot because it, you're, it's a missed opportunity. If you, if you don't give people the chance and you, and you're, it's not just giving them the chance, you have to curate it in a lot of ways, because as you said, natural tendency is to go isolate with the team that you already know. 
Um, and I think that it gets exasperated the bigger the company gets. Like at a vision, I mean, I can imagine how you walk into a room with a thousand people, you're, you're very likely to go hover with the group that you already have a connection with. Um, it's daunting, you know, like even, even for extroverts and, and a lot of people aren't extroverts. So, um, there's a couple things like one of the, uh, concepts that we tried to infuse was a lot of optionality. So not just options over whether or not you wanted to come to the retreat, but then once you're in the retreat, there's a lot of options on what you'd like to do. So like every afternoon we'll have three different options for people to do actually four, because the fourth option is to do nothing. And that's, that's heavily encouraged. And a lot of people will choose that option. Say, I'm not going to go on the, the hike or the paddleboarding tour or the museum tour. I'm going to just hang out and, you know, go, go have a beer with my buddy over here. And, uh, and that, and that's totally fine too, or go rest in my room because I'm exhausted. Um, cause I'm not used to hanging out with so many people all the time anymore. <laughs> so whatever, whatever you choose, but we, we give it by giving people those three activity options, what you're doing is breaking the bigger group down into smaller groups, which I think smaller groups of like less than 10 to 20 is, is really good for giving people the opportunity to connect better. And then they're choosing to do things that they're naturally interested in, which means you're automatically set in a group of people that you have something in common with. So going back to the hiking example, if you chose to go on the hike that afternoon versus going on the museum tour, there's a fair likelihood that you have something in common with the people on the hike versus the people that went to the museum. Um, the other thing is like small tables um, at, uh, at meals. So getting the tables down to as small as you possibly can, four to six people, eight people maybe, um, is really good because it forces teams to break up and to go sit with other people. And then we infuse some things like uh, like some of our workshops, activities, things like that from a work standpoint, uh, specifically had people cross collaborating with people from other teams. And we also infuse that into some of the social stuff. Like we had a, we played a game of uh, word assassin throughout the week, um, which is really, which ended up being a, a huge highlight of the retreat, um, oddly enough. And, uh, but that forced people, you were, you were paired with someone who didn't know that you were paired with them and you had to, you were forced to go up and talk to them. And we made sure that people weren't paired with people from their own team. Um, so yeah, just, I mean, being intentional about all of this is, is the key. Like there's a million different ways you could slice and dice it, but I think being intentional about creating those smaller groups and forcing people to, to connect, if that's your intention with these is, is really important and worth the effort. Uh, so that's a lot of very good stuff. I think I'm recording another episode later um, on the same topic. And I think what they had used in, in the past was the idea of assigned seating at meals, right? So every meal you were assigned at a different table. And it was also very specific to make sure that teams didn't sit together where you were kind of forced to sit with people in other teams, you know, outside of your, your core team. So I think all these ideas of, again, the word intentionality. If you're intentional yeah. of getting people together, that's the, like the, the crux there. So wanted to, wanted to focus now on, right? This is a, a heavy uh, investment, heavy investment in potentially money. And again, I'm gonna have a follow-up question to that, but you wanted to, everything is a return on investment. And we understand the impact that uh, time together has. And I know you had a great post uh, on LinkedIn that I've personally used in a couple of my newsletters and different things uh, and social media. Tell us about the impact that you've seen actual numbers, actual specific feedback from people on the team of what the experience was and what impact and how that translated into engaged more happiness or more engagement or higher productivity, or again, reducing churn in, in employees. We'd love to again, hear truly for the people who are listening, 
what impact comes out of doing an IRL and doing it the right way? Yeah, it's, I, I hope we'll get even better at this, uh, Scott, because like, I, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, um, in terms of how we measure this, you know, scientifically and be able to back it up, but we have pretty strong indicators from, um, pre and post retreat surveys. We do various touch points throughout the year to kind of measure employee engagement and satisfaction. Um, our retention, our employee retention hovers in the 90% range and our employee satisfaction, uh, does as well, um, which are, you know, by industry standards, both, both very high and, and those appear extremely high right around the times of, uh, IRL interaction. So it's, it's interesting. It's always interesting to see that, that bump, but I can't honestly say those numbers are, are, you know, pretty standard, uh, throughout the course of the year anyway. So what we do is we, after the survey or after the retreat, we send out a survey of, um, various questions and, and some of the things we're trying to measure are like connectivity to the connection that people feel to their teammates on an individual level, on a, on a, on a more macro level, um, the connection people feel to our core, uh, core values and mission statement. Um, one of the things we try to infuse throughout the week is, is reinforcing our core values and mission statement. Um, an example of that is like when we did our hackathon, it was all based around building something connected to our mission statement. Um, and so teams had a finite amount of time to build something and present it that, that connected to our mission statement, which is to build the future of work. So we're, we're trying to measure the way people feel connected to those things, to the, their teammates, to the things that we care about as a company. And, um, and then also measure just like very specifically, like what were your, what was your opinion on the, you know, the activities on the food, on the hotels, all these things. So we can year to year, make sure that we're moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, interestingly, I just had a conversation with a group of other people who were in a similar role to mine, and we were all talking about how we feel the need for even better tracking and and uh, review of the return on investment of these activities. But it's very easy to notice it's, that it's a that it's a positive ROI. Yeah, I think that's very. Anyone who's done, who's been, I think just even has experienced it, not even on the side of running it, but even who's gone through that experience can clearly see the value out of that in relationships uh, and connection to the company. You hit a point before, and I want to kind of circle back for, unfortunately, you know, the world is in a recession. Many companies are unfortunately laying off lots of people and kind of you know, tightening the purse. But that should obviously never mean that we're not spending money on engagement, right? I've been preaching for the last whatever year of any time that any company should ever spend money on their employees. Now is the time more than any other time that they should be doing it. So for companies, again, that are thinking focused on the financial area, like you have some tips and ideas of how do you again get people together in whatever capacity without breaking the bank? Uh, because I know that kind of that fear if we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, depending on the size of the company, like that may turn something off, but different options of, locations, right? If you want to do the Swiss Alps, you want to do a ski trip in Swiss Alps, right? You go to the country of Georgia, right? It's probably you know, yeah. a quarter of the cost or a fifth of the cost, probably almost as good skiing. You no. Know? So there's different things you could do. And again, maybe like you said, instead of a city where you're going museums and theater and there's a cost for everything, right? It doesn't cost anything to, to, to hike. It doesn't cost anything to, you know, do bonfire, create a bonfire and, and do things like that. So I'd love to hear again, maybe some tips that you have for companies who are thinking on the financial side how they can still get people together, but at the same time, not break the bank. 
Yeah. Um, so the first thing is, is like, try not to think about this as one big expense every year, but think about it as like an investment in each individual employee. So if you, if you change the narrative from this is going to cost me half a million dollars to this is going to cost me $4,000 per employee. Uh, and I just do that once per year. Uh, you break that, start breaking that down on a monthly basis or whatever, and it becomes very tolerable. You think, oh, well, if I had an office space in any mid-sized city, um, I'd be paying way more than that probably, or, or around that at least for for an office space. So, in the same way that you might not think about what does each employee cost you in terms of a, a desk, think about it. Try to think about it in those terms, and that can that can help you um, budget. We we do that. We basically have a number per person that we're trying to get to and that we're willing to spend. And that gives us our total budget, which we work with to, to manage this, all, all our retreats. Um, so that's been helpful for us. And I, and I think just determining what that number is for you will depend on every team. The, the other thing to keep in mind is like that number is going to be different for each person um, because you got somebody, if you're going to mainly do your retreats in Europe and you have somebody in Australia and somebody in Berlin, um, the cost for bringing that person from Australia is going to be two to three X what it is for the person from, from Berlin. So, um, you know, we do a, like a multiplier effect for people from certain parts of the world to, to get to the right number there. Um, the other thing is like your two biggest costs are going to be, uh, flights and hotels, um, or, or lodging accommodations, whatever. Um, and so figuring out how you want to go about those two things, like optimizing your flight cost is well worth the investment. You could, you could save 10, 20% on this overall thing just by making sure that you've chosen a location that allows for the majority of your team to get there um, pretty easily. And then keep in mind that it's not just about flight cost, but there's an opportunity cost there when people have to travel multiple days or multiple legs or, or for many, many hours to get to places. So choosing convenient locations, um, even if you have to drive an hour and a half outside of a city, getting everybody close to a location or an airport that most people can fly into with one or two connections tops is uh is key will save on the initial investment but also on any like extra costs like you need to budget that there's going to be some some canceled flights some extra tickets that have to be bought at the last minute some people that get stuck somewhere um baggage fees you know things that just pop up at the last minute so reducing those connections and getting convenient locations will will help save on costs also and then as we already talked about like going to locations that are maybe on shoulder season or um that are you know not quite the maybe not Paris, but you're going to somewhere an hour and a half outside of Paris um, and, and saving, you know, 50, 60, 70, $100,000 on your hotel costs. Um, all of these things can can add up quite a bit. And then also don't over, we, we touched on this already, but don't over index on like lots of activities. Um, those cost a lot of money and often aren't the best uh, use of your, your resources. So providing that free time. I heard somebody say, a CEO once said, he said, the best activity we did at our offsite was we put a bunch of video game consoles in a room and let everybody play video games all night. It cost us like nothing, <laughs> you know, got ordered pizzas. And, um, and so, yeah, that th these are real options and, and not a bad use of your resources. I love this. I think the, the most beautiful point to me was the first one of, and the, I've made this point, especially on social media, endlessly over the last however many years, that looking at this as an investment and not a cost where if you mm -hmm. break down the cost, okay, it costs the average employee $4,000 to attend an IRL every year. But you understand, again, that return of investment, 
their engagement goes up, their happiness with goes up, their productivity goes up. Four thousand dollars seems to be pretty worth it. But it's costly yep. enough to decide, hey, if we didn't do it and the person became less engaged and less productive and maybe they would leave the company, right? What is the cost of replacing that person significantly higher than four thousand? When you switch that mind mod, that mindset uh, of, okay, this is an expense versus we're instead investing in the person's happiness and engagement and obviously that's productivity and success of the company, right? Then whatever that cost is, is probably not going to be significantly high and probably well worth what the, the opposite is. Um, in cognizant of time, I have one kind of final question for you. For all those people who are listening, company leaders that are listening who have now been totally blown away, which I know they, they obviously have been, uh, and want to start doing uh, IRLs within the team, what are, let's say, three pieces of advice that you can give them to, to get started? Uh, the first would be to get your documentation and, and tool set in order. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can go about organizing this, but uh, investing a lot in avoiding duplication of efforts is is key. And I would say get out in front of that before you start actually planning and, and involving other people. So, you know, having FAQs and documentation around your travel policies and how you're going to approach things like COVID and making sure you have the right tools in place for people to, you know, book, like we use virtual credit cards so people can book their own flights and, and, um, and things like that. So investing in the infrastructure around it is, is really key. And that includes, you know, setting your, uh, setting your budget. The other one is like, ask why, like, why are we doing this? What is the, the reason is it because everybody else is doing it and suddenly cool um or is there like a is it to get a lot of work done is it to build stronger connections like ask why ask why ask why to the answer and keep drilling down into that um to figure out like what the real root reason is to to do this and then optimize everything around it uh and then i think the third thing is to i mentioned this before but to make everything optional by default and and to really be true about that don't just don't there shouldn't be any hidden guilt strings um associated with any of this like make sure this is built for the people that really really want to be there don't drag people to it and and within that don't drag people to each individual activity more optionality is is very key yeah very important points for everyone who's listening who wants to learn more about the work that you do get a hold of you obviously maybe read more or learn more about how you're planning, how Duist is planning and working on IRLs, what's the best place to find you, get a hold of you and, and find the stuff, uh, the good stuff from Duist? Yeah, um, well, first of all, thanks Scott for the awesome conversation. It's such uh, a fun you. subject. And uh, I learned a lot through this as well. You made me reflect on some things. So um, appreciate that. And I've, I've got questions for you at some point that we'll have to maybe do this again because I want to pick your brain. But um, if you want to find me, the best place is probably on LinkedIn. That's where I'm talking a lot about what we're doing and just trying to build in public. Um, I also write some for Forbes and uh, and for our Twist Async newsletter, um, which is awesome for anybody who's really interested in learning about how to do asynchronous best practices. And as I mentioned before, the IRL strategy is part of our remote async strategy. So um, we we do some of that there and uh, yeah, I've written a handful of articles. Maybe I can send them to you and you could, yep. you can share them along with this and uh, they go deeper on some of the things that we talked about today. Amazing. Yeah. We'll put all those in the notes and also the link to the newsletter for people to sign up and chase. Well, th thank you so much. All, all the wisdom and, and, and 
fantastic information that you've shared. I know it was extremely helpful for me, again, for the opportunity to learn and, and helpful for people who are listening. So I greatly appreciate the time and greatly appreciate the opportunity of the chat and uh, look forward uh, to follow-up chats. And uh, for everyone who I guess who's listening until the next episode, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I really hope you enjoyed it. My aim is for everyone listening to have one takeaway from each episode they can then go and use with their teams. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to support me by subscribing in your favorite podcasting app on our YouTube channel, share it with friends and colleagues, and please feel free to buy me a coffee via the show's website.